Welcome to another exciting, hopefully, episode of The Power of Three. Definitely. I'm Kenny Smith, and I'm joined today by... I'm David Steele. Hello, Kenny. Are you well? I'm very well, Dave. How are you? All things considered? Yes, yeah, surviving. Yeah, surviving, matey. Doing, my, doing the best that I can. Absolutely. <laughs> and Tom, how are you? Oh, looks like Tom's been time-skipped again, dear oh. listener. So we'll have to oh. carry on without oh. him. Oh, well, not to worry. Tom's too busy. Um, Tom's too busy working on the imposter at the moment. Which, if you haven't heard it, listeners, is his little autobiographical political podcast. It's very interesting. Very strong recommend from both of us. And we're not just saying that because we're pals. Absolutely. You're supposed to agree with me there. You're supposed to no. agree with me there, Kenny. I was nodding, which is no use <laughs> for a podcast, is it? No, I was absolutely agreeing. Yes, definitely give the imposter a listen. Any other podcast people should listen to? If I remember, Dave. Yes, Kenny. People should be checking out the Earth Two podcast. What's that all about, Dave? Well, it's a a light-hearted but committed look at the evolution of the DC Comics multiverse with an emphasis on the legacy of the Golden Age characters through the Silver Age and Bronze Age of comics, starring myself and my good friend Peter Watson. Hi, Peter. Give him a wave. So that means you're now in the Steel Age. (laughs) Yes, the Steel Age of comics, absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to the Stone Age (laughs) of comics when you go back to the very basics. Anyway, we're not here about to talk... Anyway... We're not here to talk about comics today, Dave, but in a way we are. Dave, tell the lovely listeners what we're going to talk about today. Today, Kenny, we're talking about three big finished Doctor Who stories that were given away free with Doctor Who magazine. That's correct. We are going to go with The Ratings War, No Place Like Home, and we'll start with the next one, which is Last of the Titans. Hang on. Last of the Titans. Oh. I, <laughs> I listened to Living Legend. Oh, well, not to worry. We'll get by. We'll cope. Dave, you're a moron. <laughs> we'll start with Last of the Titans, even though you haven't heard it of late. I'd been promising myself some kind of holiday for a long time, and the planet Ormelia had always been a favourite haunt of mine in my younger days. But when it came to setting the coordinates, the TARDIS seemed... Somewhat argumentative. Oh, um, oh, oh, spatial coordinates failure. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, yes, yes, all right, old girl. Oh, what now? Extreme gravitational influences? Extreme? Hmm. This is the one where we have the seventh doctor arriving on a spacecraft which has only one other person on board it, Vilgreth, the last of the Titans, although the Doctor does call him Vilgrath quite a lot. In fact, it's Vilgrath. What do you remember about this one, Dave, from memory? (laughs) Very little. Um, Well, now that I think about it, am I right in thinking that the Doctor pretty much just narrates the story? That's correct, yes. Yeah. I remember that sort of sticking... And I, really, I remember being really, really tickled by it because, I, you know, as you know, I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of Sylvester McCoy and The Seventh Doctor. And I remember really enjoying the fact that he was telling the story. And I thought, oh, it would be quite nice to have some more of that. Thank you very much. You know, being read, read a bedtime story by the Doctor in such a way. Right. I've looked up the cover now. That's fine. Is there a lot of stuff with like hatches opening and stuff? Is that right? That's right. The TARDIS falls through a hatch. The Doctor's got to go and find it. But he encounters Vilgreth, who he needs to open the hatches 
to let him through and get back into the TARDIS, but they find out there's another alien on board because Vilgrith's ship is going along and consuming planets to power the vessel, and it continues in its journey. Right. There's a whole backstory of Vilgrith being a titan thrope found in Earth who was genetically restored by a Professor Patrick Trithui, who listeners of the audiovisual right. recognise as a script writer, but was actually a pseudonym for Nick Briggs. And I think it's a very good character piece. You've got the Doctor at a slightly more melancholic period in his life, encountering this titan thrope. And they've got the build up quite a good relationship. Yeah, I remember getting that sense that it was sort of in the um in the sort of TV movie era for the seventh doctor, shall we say? You know, I remember having that vibe that it was maybe quite late on for him. Because obviously he's traveling solo. And the only time that really we've seen really seen that on TV is as you know, is in the movie. And you know, BF have done a few stories when he's had that that longer look in the different jacket, you know, in the covers and in the, the imagery and stuff. So yeah, that's terrible. I can't I'm gonna <laughs> I have to go back and check the WhatsApp chat just so that I can see how I've completely got this wrong. This is hilarious. There you go, That's... listeners. You can tell that we prepared, can't you? <laughs> Normally, we're very prepared. The thing that I quite liked about this was that when Nick started doing Vilgrith's voice in studio, when he plays it in a Devonshire accent, Sylvester McCoy turned to him and said, are you really going to do it like that? Which, <laughs> uh... And then Nick Briggs turned around to him and said, are you really going to do it in that accent too? Which looks great. <laughs> of course, the inter- one of the other bizarre things about this story is the fact that the music from it appeared on one of the big Finnish music volumes, Hurley Doors. You've got virtually the complete score on music from the new Audio Adventures volume two, which has Last of the Titans, Shadow of the Scourge and the Fires of Vulcan, all by Alistair Locke. Which is quite bizarre, but it's quite it's quite a nice wee extra having these. Did you ever buy these music CDs yeah. back in the day? No, no, I was never I was never enticed. I can't lie, um, I was never that that fussed about them. Yeah, I really did. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. The first couple of years they were going, I didn't even I didn't even buy every single story. I bought most of them, but no, I didn't buy the soundtracks. Yeah. Is it effectively it's our first short trip in many ways, and it's also in that companion mm. chronicle style where you've got somebody narrating the adventure to fill in the gaps, the more visual bits. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's short, it's fun. There's quite a sad story behind it when you find out what Vilgrith's background is and the fact that he can't defeat his nature. It's still there to to carry on as the Titanthropes do. And I think it, it's a really quite calm intro. You know, just melancholic Seventh Doctor and then you're straight into Storm Warning as well. So... Episode one, DWM freebie style. That's terrible. I can't believe that I got that wrong. That's awful. <laughs> it's the power of two, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be the power of one at this rate. Can't be doing it solo before too long. Some might say that would be an improvement, but I, of course, would completely agree. I mean, disagree with them. <laughs> of course, these stories came free with Doctor Who magazine. And here is former Big Finish producer Gary Russell to explain how they actually came about. The DWM freebies came about because we'd done the very first one, which was which was launching uh, Big Finish, and it went very, very well for, for DWM, having a free CD. So they asked us for more, and I thought, well, we can't just do boring interviews with people like this, um, because that's dull. So I said, why don't we do mini episodes? Um, 
and Jason was up for that. It, 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 everyone thought this this worked really well. So Last of the Titans was a reuse of an old audiovisual script called Vilgreth. Um, no place like home. I wanted to tie into DWM, so we had Shade, um, which I thought was, was was very important. And Ditto Ratings War tied in with DWM by having Beat the Meat. Um, we'd done Frobisher. Let's have Beat the Meat. There we go. So let's move on to our second mm. tale from time and space. So presumably then that would be the ratings war. That is the one, Dave. I can see that you aren't prepared to listen anyway. Good day, Mr. Lowell. No, wait. What are you doing? Your stuffed toy, Mr. Lowell, appears to have locked the door. He was fooling you, Lowell. He wasn't hypnotized. The Black Star radiation had no effect upon him. What if he has friends? Our cover. Everyone will find out. Silence! A hypnotic trance. He's completely under your power, isn't he? Lowell will await my further instructions while I deal with our uninvited guest. Unfortunately for you, you know too much. Oh, I know a great deal more than you suspect. For instance, I knew who you were from the second I walked into the room. Who are you? You mean to say you don't recognize me? <laughs> well, I suppose I have changed my appearance somewhat since I last defeated you. Doctor. That's right. And you are the most psychotic, sadistic war criminal I've ever had the misfortune to encounter. Beep the meep. That one came free with issue 313 of Doctor Who magazine, which came out in early 2002. So where were you early 2002, Kenny? What were you doing? I was still living in my mum and dad's, but had was making plans to move out and buy my flat in which I would live with my then girlfriend, now wife. I was working at the Wishaw Press on loan. For, no, I was working at the Wishaw Press. I hadn't gone back on loan there after they reorganised the company. So I was in quite a happy place at the time. I was enjoying my job and generally, yeah, generally quite a quite a happy soul. What about you? Yeah, um, I was working still working at HMB or Gale Street at the at the singles counter. Um <clears throat> a golden age, it must be said. Cannot overstate it or overemphasize it enough. This was the days when me and my colleague Stuart and who was sort of mean Stuart would have been Kenny or Dan or would it would Rachel Sullivan? I can't remember at that point. But Stuart and I would go out and get hammered and dance to the entire top 40 Saturday and Sunday night, and then go in on a Monday and rearrange the top 40 and then listen to the top 40 all week and then go out and dance to it all weekend. So yeah, it was it was a glory days. Um about as hedonistic as my life ever got, to be honest. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't long wasn't long living in Glasgow at that point. So I was I was I was full of Full of um, full of life and getting my money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so the ratings were, Dave. Tell us what it's all about. Well, it's basically in its purest form. It's a bit of a satire on what was a the, the then sort of fairly fresh idea of reality TV. The you know and the preoccupations that the viewing audience was sort of developing that sort of stuff. Starring Colin Baker as the Sixth Doctor, and he comes up against Beep the Meep who was an old character from Doctor Who, weekly Doctor Who magazine, who um, obviously, if you've listened to the, the Big Finish fourth Doctor adaptations, um, you'll be familiar with him there as well. 
So it's a bit just a rematch for the doctor, between the doctor and Beep, with his background that's sort of, you know, satirizing Big Brother and, you know, it's people still existing preoccupations with, um, you know, Australian soap operas, like the character, in fact, the characters were called Todd and Lucy, really cracked me up. Um, I mean, I had listened to this one before, but not in a very long time. So it was quite amusing with all the, all the, you know, because Big Brother had only been gone for, you know, I think there'd only been two series, maybe three series most at that point, three series, I think. So it was really interesting just sort of casting your mind back. So I think this was 2002, wasn't it? So that, yeah, either there'd been two series. And remembering kind of how things used to be, you know? I think there's some great stuff in there, but the fact that they're in this house and they come out and their prizes their own reality show and the people who are there and they do the interviews with them when they come out and they're the most bland dull individuals possible <laughs> with the fact there's reference to yeah. will he will will he won't will he not will he will he not and in the end he didn't that kind of stuff i think it was great and the fact that um when lucy comes out she's all yeah mm -hmm, in it which is in many ways preempting the only way is essex type characters as well Famous for being yeah. famous and nothing else whatsoever. That was the year that Jade Goody popped up in Big Brother, wasn't it? You know, God rest her soul and all that. And it was very interesting that um, Jade was one of the first people that really capitalised on that whole reality TV exposure. And it kind of let the impact of that sort of thing lessened the longer Big Brother went on. But it's, I mean, it really was a real big deal at the time. Did you ever watch Big Brother yourself, Ken? Were you ever a fan? I was a massive fan. I even applied for Series 2. I love Big Brother. Did you? Mm -hmm. Wow. It must have been really bad that. considering sure. how boring that lot were, apart from Brian. <laughs> the only the only series I watched all the way through was was the third series. Um, I think what do you think it was the two thousand two series? But I did watch I did watch a bit of the first one because one of my friends she was quite into it and was always going on about it. So I watched it a bit to see what she was talking about. It was it was a fascinating little microcosm, you know, of and I think maybe led to people becoming a little bit more self aware in some ways, but it was it was really interesting because it hadn't quite peaked as a genre in Britain, I think. So this Doctor Who story just at the, just at that sort of cusp was kind of perfect. Because obviously they, they did they reference Big Brother in um in the Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who episodes, remember, you know, Bad Wolf and all that. And I think even by then it was uh, Big Brother had passed its peak. So it was interesting this 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 DWM freebie, I think really kind of um was probably at it when when the the phenomenon was played as more zeitgeisty, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, there's some nice stuff in your because this is in itself also because obviously you mentioned the fact it's relating to the Star Beast, but it's actually mentioned yes. the Doctor Who magazine yearbook story, which had the return of the Star Beast, in which the beep the meat was trapped inside film, which I can't remember if that was the '95 or '96 yearbook, but I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Right one of those but i think it's a it's a really nice piece of work by steve lyons i think very clever satirizing tv execs who just want to yeah. churn out this stuff and you know i think there's a line in there about you know we're you know you are you make us what we are and the fact they don't need to hire actors mm. such like <clears throat> absolutely excuse me uh, well steve Lyons. i mean you can argue a case that steve lyons had already kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit with his new adventures novels you know, and the, the question of sort of reality and all that sort of stuff. He was a good guy. He, he you know, Tim Your Life kind of touched on that sort of thing slightly, but he was ahead of his time on that one. Yeah, good guy, Steve Wines. And there's some really nice stuff in there as well with just the use of Beat the Meep himself. He's brilliantly played by Toby Longworth. The fact that he gets, he's gets, he sounds so cute and little and 
then all of a sudden he just goes, he turns on a sixpence and becomes absolutely vicious, really cruel. He's fabulous. I think he's exactly how I imagined the voice would sound. Yes, I would agree. Did he play him in the, the Fourth Doctor adaptation? No, he didn't. He wasn't available to do it, right. so somebody else recorded. He did play um, Josiah W. Dogbolter again years later after he played him in the Maltese Penguin and recreated him in the Monthly Range trilogy with the the Quantum Possibility yeah. engine. Yes, yes. Aye, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I like Doug Bolter. I was a big fan of the, the, the BWM comic strip when he was in it at that point. Yeah. I think it was a really nice touch, the fact that you've got a DWM freebie and at this point the show's still off air and pretty much everybody reading it will know exactly who Beep the Meep is as well. Yeah, it was one of those times when, you know, not quite that we had to make our own entertainment, but, you know, we didn't have the TV series to fall back on. It was all just still VHS tapes. There'd only been a few DVDs at this point. So, absolutely. God, 2002, that's mental. It is, isn't it? It's quite scary. Really quite scary. And, of course, the wonderful thing about these, the story and the next one we're about to discuss as well is the fact they're all available for free at www.bigfinish.com. Yeah, because when Kenny suggested this, I was like, oh, God, am I going to have to scrabble about and find these CDs? And Ken was like, oh, you just, you just they're, they're free on the, the website. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, that'll do. And he was right. <laughs> In fact, our podcast is probably going to end up being longer than one of the stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's, um, any final thoughts on the ratings war? I would say it's a great listen a cynical look at reality TV and the fact that you've got also got the doctor saying near the end that uh, TV shows and his adventures, you just cannot do them justice on television and they're far more suited to an audio medium. I think that's a nice wee tongue-in-cheek <laughs> comment as well. I wondered if you could say a few words for the uh, people at home, sir. Tell us a little more about yourself. Uh, your name, for example. For the people at home? Yes, sir. You are live on television. Oh, I see. And I take it you expect me to feel honoured? Well, well, our viewers are, are very interested. Sorry, I don't think I can help you. To be honest, I find television rather limiting, especially in its present state. I doubt it could do me justice anymore. I need to be free to express myself, unfettered, undiluted. I need a medium that allows me to be... Louder? Um, well, it was very nice to meet you, Mr McHale. Goodbye. Yeah. Colin's always having a lot of fun with it, that's, um, and that's always nice to hear, definitely. So moving on, our final story today that we're going to mention is No Place Like Home, written by my friend Ian McLaughlin, who had written The Eye of the Scorpion for the monthly range, and he then wrote this as pretty much one of RMM's first adventures in the TARDIS as a new companion, and it's quite an interesting idea, the fact you actually get to see the companion exploring her new home. Listen, you talked I... about Victoria and Sarah and Leela. Have many people travelled with you, Doctor? Over the years, I suppose there have been a few. Good friends, mostly. Some stayed for years, some only for a few days, and then they left and went on with their lives. Most of them, anyway. For so many people to have travelled with you, you must have been travelling a very long time. Must I? And I thought I was looking rather young these days. After all that I've seen with you, Doctor, I would be very foolish indeed if I thought you were a normal man of 30. You don't look any older, but there's much more to you than that. Thank you. 
You know, I wish more of my companions said nice things like that about me. And you did say that you were far older than you appear. I'm not even middle-aged by my people's standards. If we're not careful, we could spend hours in here and never finish the tour. No, I'd like to see all of the TARDIS. That could take some time. I don't mind. At least you didn't find the frilly shirts and the smoking jackets. Now, this is, um, this is where I make, make one of these terrible admissions. This is the only Eremim story I've actually listened to. I've never heard Last of the Scorpion. I haven't heard Ride of Peladon or any of the ones in between because my head cannon doesn't allow for very much room between Planet of Fire and Caves of Androzani. So I, yeah, I hate to say it. In, in my... In my um, in my view, she doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, I understand why the character was created. You know, it was a long time before Janet Fielding got involved with Big Finish, and it allowed them to open up and develop Perry's character and do some more stuff with the Fifth Doctor. So it wasn't just always the Fifth Doctor with Nessa solo and or the Doctor with Perry and Turlow solo individually kind of thing. It was it was something that they probably had to be done if they were going to try and keep the Fifth Doctor stories fresh. But I was just, you know, the way that, you know, you watch um, you watch Andros and I, as we call it in our house, and it, um, it just picks up. Perry's wearing the same clothes. She's talking about lava. There's no room. <laughs> controversial. Controversial. Outrageous. But what did you think of her as a character, given this was your introduction to her? No doubt you knew she was a, well, she'd been a pharaoh and that was it. Yeah. I think I picked that up. I mean, I had, um, when I listened to this again, um, I think it was, well, listened to it again the other night when I went from a walk in the snow. I, I had I, I had heard it before. I had listened to it before. The thing that sort of struck me was it was it it felt in a lot of ways like the sort of the the Doctor Who the sort of Doctor Who story you write when you're 15. There was lots of continuity references, you know, to other companions' costumes. The fact that Shade from the Doctor Who comic strip turned up, you know, obviously it's a, it's DWM related, so it made sense to get him to do that. Same way that beep being another one made sense. I was sort of, I kind of confirm myself being distracted at the start by the continuity references because the older I get, the less time I have for continuity references. But it was fine. It was okay. I mean, um, I, it, I mean, I will admit it didn't have, it did have me sort of thinking. I've got. I mean, I bought Eye of the Scorpion in one of the sales, you know, and I've got it. So I sort of thought I could listen to Eye of the Scorpion, see what it's like. You know, it could be in my head. I can make it an unbound thing, I suppose. But you know, she was fine. She came over very well. The doctor, the doctor was good. He, it was um, it was nice sort of noting his sort of. I liked the bits when they, you know, when they realised that they had quite a few things in common about their backgrounds and stuff. That was quite interesting. Yeah. What did you think? How do you? I mean, I take it. Are you, you, you being you? Of course, you'll have heard every single one of the stories that she was in. Are you a fan? I love Aramim. I think she's a great character. I think she's really interesting. Something different. The fact you've got a character out of time somebody who'd been born into a life of privilege and all of a sudden it's all taken away from her from beneath her feet as the people of Egypt rebelled against her and her reign came to an abrupt end. And I think she made quite an interesting you know, comparison with Perry, who'd obviously had a, a good, you know, a good upbringing lifestyle. And you've got the pair mm. of them were, I think, were quite an interesting combo. And I think Caroline Morris is fantastic. I think she's really really good as RMM. I think she she makes her very likable she's got quite a young sounding voice so you can sort of you, you do feel quite big brotherly towards her I think she's she's got a sort of naivety but also she's got a hard edge to her at the same time and I really I really liked her I think she's a she's a good character I think she's a good foil for the fifth doctor as well it's, 
we didn't often get you were somebody with whom he has a good relationship yeah Tullow was trying to kill him and you got the sense a lot of time that Tegan didn't really want to be there so yeah no, that's, that's a valid point I imagine it would be quite an interesting sort of dynamic to sort of hear develop hmm interesting bottom line is here Dave I'm trying to get you to listen to the eye of the scorpion <laughs> yeah <laughs> obviously how, how old is she supposed to be I think she's about 17, 18. So she's you know, quite, oh, okay. quite young pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, I mean, it's it's one of these things, isn't it? It's like, you know, they had to they had to do what they had to do. And, but I remember just being sort of being like, mm, mm. I think by the time I, the scorpion came out, I had, I'd entered a sort of um, vague wilderness period with, with BF. And I wasn't, I, I remember buying all of the first two McGann series, but not, I didn't buy the second series as it was released. I bought it a little while after because I'd heard some of the hype about Neverland and kind of, you know, kind of drifted back in. I think the first year, you know, the first couple of years, I was quite up to date, but then I kind of drifted a bit after the McGann, the first McGann series. Oh, it's, I mean, obviously it's a long time since I was copying and was released. So um, maybe if we do another episode where we, we do stories that cover, you know, the introduction of Big Finish, you know, Big Finish only companions, that would be a good one to do. Might be a good one to talk about, maybe. Something yeah. that I really enjoyed was the reveal of the villain, who, spoilers, is a Gallifrey in the mouth. <laughs> yes, that was quite funny, yes. The Rovi had snuck inside the TARDIS yeah. and had been mutated by the Time Vortex, protected by the TARDIS from injury, and uh, and then ultimately gets caught in Shade's fishbowl-like helmet when... Erimem's cat Antronach chases it, which I think is quite appropriate. I think it's, it's quite a light-hearted tale, and it, quite a tale for a mouse, haha. And I think it's it generally fits in with the whole feel, sort of the comic book feel with shade and the like. So, yes, I quite enjoyed that part. Yeah, it was quite silly. It wasn't really what you were expecting. You were expecting the TARDIS to sort of come under the effect of some evil, malignant, horrible nastiness, and then it just turns out to be a little mouse, and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite funny. Yeah, and I think full credit to Mark Donovan who plays the roving because he also plays Shade, and you would never know they were playing exactly. It was the same actor. Oh no, absolutely! No, you're right. I don't think I realised that either. That's terrific. It's not a high concept type story. It's pretty much a piece of fun. Here's a companion exploring mm-hmm. the TARDIS, getting to know her way around. Things go a bit awry, and they find out. It's been caused by an evil mouse. In many ways, I almost envisage it being like Pinky and the Brain, except obviously it's pink. It's the brain, <laughs> not Pinky. Yeah, and I mean it's it's quite a kind of idea as well. It's like you know, Big Finish introduced a new companion. There was bound to be a bit of scepticism, you know. I've said as much myself, but do a freebie story with a magazine that maybe some people will listen to and be a little bit more inclined to try it out. Yeah, it makes sense. It's some um, clever sort of cross marketing. Absolutely, definitely. and of course. When issue No Place Like Home came free with issue 326, which came out, you know, that was like a year later than the last one. So that's now, that's the start of 2003. So, but then I'd moved up to, I'd moved up the road to HMV Silky Hall Street. Where were you at the start of 2003? I was, I'd come back to the Wishaw Press on loan because the company had reorganised and changed my job and moved me to the stubs desk, which I hated as I didn't like doing paid layouts all the time. I wanted to talk to people. So I was there, right. and then my successor at the Wishaw Press had breast cancer, and they moved me back because I was so unhappy in that job, and they put me back in there, right. and I was delighted to be back talking to real people again. Cool. I moved up to Saki in September, till the end of September 2002. I was there for a year and a week, and it was great. It was my dream job. I was the singles buyer for the entire shop. Great fun. 
made a lot of new pals, many of whom I'm still in touch with now, and it was um yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. It was. Now let's hear what some of our listeners had to say when we put out our usual wee request on Twitter to say what you think about these stories. Our first tweet comes from Cy Hodges, who says, Last of the Titans is an interesting format. It's almost a proto-companion chronicle style telling. Feels like it shares more DNA with the Pescatons than anything else BF have done. Which kind of makes sense with the Doctor narrating in the first person. Chris Lupton adds, Last of the Titans was a brilliant little romp. Loved the concept. Alice Neptune felt, Last of the Titans, a great little story. Bittersweet. Feels a bit Hitchhiker's Guide. I'm personally a fan of the narrated format. Plus that in-universe recording. Multiple storytelling styles. Would love more short pieces similar to this. A good story for our lone Doctor. James H., who is at fitgeek underscore UK, says, Titans is okay, but the other two are amazing. Home is a brilliant nod to the comics, and War has the greatest earworm of all time. And yes, I think we're talking the Beep the Meep song there. Gary Murden says, The rating War spoof of Big Brother was pretty funny, and I love the tour of the TARDIS in No Place Like Home. Sadly, I can't remember too much of Last of the Titans, other than I think it was part narration, full cast like the early adventures. Philip Basket MD says, Anything that gives us more beep the meep is a good thing. John Porter says, Thoroughly enjoyed them all. I remember being in a blind panic about missing No Place Like Home, as I was in the States near the time it was due to be released. Made jewel cases for them all to fit in. I did that too, actually. The short one, Blue Hearts, who is at Brain of Spock, said, I really enjoyed them all. It's a great way to get acquainted with what Big Finish does. Also this time, I put out a wee appeal on the Divergent Universe forum to see if anybody had any thoughts there and got a couple of responses. Whiskey Brewer said, I really enjoyed these three shorter tales, which in the end could be considered trial runs for the single episodes of later main range releases. Each one worked in their own different ways. And the two of them essentially big finish canonised the DWM comics. When they add hints of other adventures, it always sparks my interest. And I do hope we get more of these again in the future, even if they are download exclusive, as they are perfect ways of bringing in new writers outside of short trips. Also on the Divergent Universe forum, Grinch said, Personally, I thought it was a lovely little story which perfectly suited its short format. Talking about Last of the Titans. Vilgreth is definitely one of the more memorable one-off villains, if such a term can even be applied to him. His character, in my opinion, goes beyond simple comic relief with his talk of afternoon tea and the like, and becomes something rather poignant, bordering on tragic, when we come to learn of his origins. One does wonder what it would have been like had he learnt to let go of his beauties and travelled with the Doctor for a bit. Would have made a very interesting, if brief, companion, I think. My only real gripe with the story is that I feel the idea of planet eater ships are something that could have been expanded upon in a full-length piece, as I definitely think there is further scope in the idea. All very well done. As you can tell, I really liked it. And finally, back on Twitter, our friends at the Sisterhood of Karn said, Oh God, I missed the physical freebies. They always felt so special and precious. Absolutely agree, Sisterhood. Absolutely agree. So remember, if you want to send us any tweets, you can find us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod. You can find our website, www.powerof3pod. And you can find our Facebook page where you can hopefully come along and like our content and remember to leave nice positive feedback if there's anything you've particularly enjoyed. We do enjoy hearing our listeners, don't we, Dave? 
We certainly do. And if anyone's getting any ideas for anything that they maybe um, like us to watch as part of the Doctor Who family tree or any suggestions for Doctor Who topics that we could we could link three stories together, because I haven't really done too many of them recently. By all means, give us a shout and let us know what you're thinking. Absolutely. If you're thinking, Abraham Lincoln, then let us know. <laughs> well, thanks very much for your company this afternoon, Dave. Although wherever you are listening, it may be evening, it may be morning, it may be the middle of the night. Who knows? <laughs> Yes, thanks for your company too, Kenny. I apologise unreservedly for listening to one of the wrong stories, but not to worry. <laughs> yes, I've, I enjoyed it. And who knows, perhaps we can use your research in a future episode of Power of Three. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. It's been delightful to have your company. Dave, I think you should perhaps lead us into today's tune to play us out. Well, Kenny, today we're playing out, because we've been covering a few Doctor Who magazine freebies, we thought it would be quite amusing to, to play out with a song that reflected that slightly. So as I quickly rifle through my, cop, my, my ancient copy of the Guinness Book of Hit Singles, we're playing out with a smash hit from the summer of 1990, cover of the Rolling Stones song from the greatest album of all time, Out of Our Heads. This is the Soup Dragons with I'm Free. We'll see you next time. Any old time